Uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 85. And just for the few technology people, um, if you are interested in joining us in our 21-day fast, we started Friday night, uh, sundown, and we're going to end on June 25th, sundown. Uh, on the Friday, we're going to end that fast with cookies. Are you with me? Come on. They say that's the healthy way to do it. Um, I'm playing. Don't, don't say pastor said cookies. Soup, broth, things like that. You, know. um, but we're do, you can do any sort of, of fast, um, Daniel fast. You can do a day fast. You can do whatever you're comfortable with, but there's a way to sign up. Uh, and it's at ctrf.com slash prayer. So ctrf.com slash prayer. We felt as pastors and just felt from the Lord that uh, the season that's before us, we really needed to prepare our hearts. And so we're praying for three specific things. If you didn't get the message on this, but we're praying for personal revival for the first week. We're praying for revival in our families the second week. So praise God, we're setting in a family ministry, right? Come on. And then the third week, we are praying for community revival. So we are excited what God's going to do and uh, just believe that as the state opens, how many are happy the state is supposedly supposed to open up? So end of June, doors open. We believe there's a window of opportunity that God has for us, and we want to be prepared and be ready and obey what, and be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? In that. So um, how many have your Bibles out? You're in Psalm 85. All right, two of you. Praise God. Psalm 85, verses 6 and 7. And it says this, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Will you not revive us again? How many know it's God's heart to revive us and to breathe life into us? To take that which is dead and that which is lifeless and he breathes the spirit of God into us. Um, and I think when we talk about revival, when we talk about desiring revival in our personal life, and that's really what I want to focus on this morning, the cry of our heart for revival. Because I believe there's something in us that longs and wants and desires more that God has for us. The more that God has for us. It's not that he's holding back. It's that we need to make room for what Jesus wants to do in and through our lives. And so that's what this is about, that revival is not necessarily just about filling seats in churches. It's about filling hearts. It's about being overflowing with the Spirit of God in such a way that it impacts your circle of influence. And each and every one of us have one. And I believe all revival starts with individuals who decide to go after the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and say, I'm going to get hold of the Lord no matter what it costs me. Paul captures this heart in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, I press on to the mark of the calling of God and high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Before that, he says, forgetting what lies behind, I, I press on that I may apprehend that for which he apprehended me. Are you with me this morning? God got hold of you for something, 
And, and, and we have to have a mentality in our life that says, I've never, I'm not, I'm not arrived. I've left, but I've not arrived, and I'm going to keep pressing in. If Paul the apostle had this mentality, so must we, even more so. Press on, apprehend, grab hold of. But when we speak of revival, there's so many definitions out there, and we probably all have our own. Maybe you, went, you grew up and you went to tent revivals or things like that. But revival, just to put it in simple terms, in this passage to, inter- to the translation, the interpretation here, means um, keeping alive and giving more life. And then the Strong's for the original Hebrew in Psalms, it means to re. Be revived by himself, listen to this, with fullness of life in his favor. Be revived by himself with fullness of life in his favor. Jesus came that you might have life in that more abundantly. So fullness of his life and fullness of his favor in it. So we go to verse, that's church. Now, now flip with me to uh, Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. And we're going to camp here for a little bit. And I'm, I'm going to try not to be too long, but we're going to let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Amen. And listen to this cry from the prophet. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence. Come on. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries. That the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect. Oh, there it is. He does exceedingly abundantly above and beyond we could ever ask, think, imagine. You came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. So here the prophet is really capturing what I believe is the cry of every believer's heart who truly seeks after the kingdom of God. And that is that we recognize that what's available in heaven we're not fully seeing on earth yet. And that we desire to see it. And that it's, I, I, remember, I remember standing in front of the Grand Canyon. Uh, we went on a trip about two or three years ago. And when you stand there, you stand in awe. It's awesome. That chasm that goes across and, and just the amazing wonder of, of the rock formations and the, and the canyon. Found, you know, it was a mile deep in some places. It's incredible. But then when I looked at that chasm, I had this picture in my mind so far across, and yet so, so many people will see and will look in Scripture at the experience of the early church, will look in Scripture at what's available to us, and then we'll look at our present reality, and there's that chasm between them. But what crosses that chasm is our faith. Faith, faith apprehends and grabs hold of what God has for us, even though we can't see it, even though we can't touch it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So there's a hope. There's something that says, Lord, we want heaven's reality to be closer to earth and to our present experience. And so when we say, what are we praying for? What are we desiring after? What are we longing for? It is for that. It is for his prayer 
for the disciple, which was your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, in us can be a holy discontentment. There's a holy discontentment. No, we're not discontent with the Lord because he is all we could ever ask for. He's more than that. He, is, he gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Our discontentment is with, we want more of him to flow through us. We want more of him to flow in and through our lives. We want to make more room for him in our lives. A greater desire for his manifestation of his power and his glory in our lives. When revival comes, it shakes things. It shakes things. It shakes the kingdoms of men. It shakes our cities. It shakes our culture. It shakes the church. Come on, somebody. And mountains quake at his presence. Another verse says that mountains melt before the presence of the Lord. That's how great it is. And when, there's, when, when, the, when the prophet writes this, he's referring to the experience they had at Sinai, looking back, and it says in Psalm 68, 8, it says, the earth quaked and the heavens dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. So they said, we've seen what you can do. We've heard of what you can do, God, so we know you can do it again. Come on. And so that's why it's so important for us to not only see the testimonies of God moving in his word, but the testimonies of what he's doing even through the ages and in our history. The testimonies of God over the centuries, the great awakening with Evan Roberts and Jonathan Edwards, the second great awakening with Charles Finney. If you've ever read about the 1859 prayer revival, it's absolutely amazing. It starts with a businessman who looked at the state of his country, his nation. Economic depression on the verge. And he saw the condition of his nation. He says, we need to get some people together to pray. So he prepared a room for lunch in downtown Manhattan in his business and set out 20 chairs. The first day, nobody showed up, so he prayed by himself. The second day, more men showed up. The third day became to get full, and, and before you know it, prayer movements were spontaneously, not really spontaneously, they were by the Spirit of the Lord, beginning all over the nation. And over a period of a couple of years, over a million people were saved in that revival. They described ships coming into the New York Harbor. And people on those ships sensing the presence of God in such a tangible way that they would repent. They were convicted of their sin and they repent there. You see, so when we pray for revival, let's not aim low. Because God is a God who wants to come down and shake our world and come down and affect our communities, our cultures, our families. Our, and it starts with us individually. It starts with us individually. We see the 1904 Welsh Revival. We see the 1906 Azusa Street Pentecostal Revival. We see the Hebrides Revival. So many moves of God throughout the ages. 
And when we see them, we go, God, we know you can do it. Just as they saw at Sinai and just as they had heard the testimony, God, you can do it again. So I'm trying to stir up in our hearts, just coming off, last time I preached was on Pentecost, and I spoke to you about expectancy, but sometimes expectancy is limited by experience. Sometimes expectancy is limited by experience. But when we hear the testimonies, come on. That's why Israel is instructed to pass the testimonies from one generation to another. To build that expectancy so that that heart for God and for his power and his glory would be carried through from one generation to the next. And that's our heart here for this generation, isn't it, church? Come on. It's the fire we desire. He says, the fire kindles the brushwood. A fire causes, just as fire causes a water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries. Jesus came to baptize us with fire. If we will allow him to set us ablaze individually, the world will come to watch us burn. I'll say if, he will, if we will allow him to set us ablaze individually, the world will come watch you burn. Going on, in, so number one is the cry for revival. Going on in, in, in Isaiah 64, it says, For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. Who acts on, I'm going to say it again, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Second is the posture for revival. The one who waits. And waiting in scripture is not passive. But it is an expectancy. It's a waiting and longing It's a waiting and a longing. Just as David says in the Psalm 33, he says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. He is our help and our shield, church. Sometimes we don't want to wait. We want to get the answer fast so we skip a beat and, and miss out on waiting and seeing God come through and be our help and shield. Don't get impatient in the waiting, but wait in faith, in expectancy, until you see the answer. And such it is when we're praying for revival and for God to move in our lives. He says, secondly, he says, who rejoices in righteousness? Come on. I hope you rejoice in righteousness. It says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1 that he was anointed above his brethren because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. So the love for righteousness is key in rejoicing in righteousness. Behold, it says in Psalm 119.40, the psalmist says, Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. That key word, there it is again, longing, talking about our desire for righteousness. And then Matthew 5, 6, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are you satisfied this morning, church? 
I hope you're hungry. I hope there's a thirst in you that only he can satisfy. Come on. Who remembers you in your ways. And in Psalm 119.37, it goes on to say, Turn my eyes away from looking at what is worthless. Can we just sit there for a second? Talking about our attention, our focus, our distractions. We got a few distractions. Maybe it starts with this. I don't know. Right? Pastor friend of mine, Daniel Weeks, he, had, he did this on the platform. I won't do it because I, I, this is not my phone. He threw it up. and He goes, maybe we just need to do this. And he crushed it. But we look, we look at worthless things. We're consuming worthless things. And one of the things in this time of fasting, maybe the Lord would have you or to take a break from the media and from those inputs and your eye gate and what's coming in, your ear gate, what's coming in to your heart. Because in Proverbs 4, it says, keep watch over your heart. Be diligent in this, for out of it flows the issues of life. But he says, turn your eyes away from looking at what is worthless, these things that have taken our attention, our focus, our eyes off Jesus, and revive me in your ways. Revive me in your ways. All throughout Psalm 119, there's about 12 or 15 times he says, revive me according to your loving kindness. Revive me according to your word. That passion, that longing, that desire is throughout that long chapter, if you've got some time on your hands. 176 verses, come on. But Isaiah 57, 15 says this, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Lowly and contrite. Jesus gives us the invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. But he says, how? Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. For I am gentle and lowly in spirit. Learn from me. See, you know, God doesn't ask us to do something he wouldn't do. He's lowly in spirit. And he is humble. Jesus was humble. He was gentle. He was meek. These are the characteristics of our Savior. Amen? And, he, and here Isaiah says, this is where God dwells. He dwells in the high and holy place, and he dwells in the contri- in the, with the contrite and lowly of spirit. Isn't that an amazing dichotomy that he's also in heaven and he's in the high and holy place but then he comes down to those who are contrite broken and lowly in spirit so whoever you are this morning you say i'm not worthy and how would why would god ever give me attention why would god care about me if you will humble yourself before him he says i will come and i will dwell with you with the contrite and lowly and it says that he resists the proud that's why Peter says humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God for he will exalt you in due season amen 
Humility. He's looking. The Spirit of God is drawn to low places in our hearts to fill and to satisfy. So who is contrite and lowly in spirit? The one who waits, the one who rejoices in righteousness, the one who remembers his ways, and the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Again, in the Beatitudes, tying it together, it says in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed, somebody say blessed, Blessed. are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, that's an acknowledgement that without you I can do nothing, God. Sometimes the biggest obstacle to revival in our lives is our self-dependence. Our independence. Our our self-sufficiency that just needs to be laid down so that he can come in and dwell with us in contrite and lowliness of spirit. Isaiah 66, 2 says, For my my hand made all these things. Thus all these things come into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. Somebody said, me, Lord, come on, me. Look to me, please. To him who's humble and of contrite heart. And who trembles at my word. And who trembles at my word. That's like this. I'm going to keep my face in this book until I'm transformed. And then I'm going to keep my face in this book because I'm going from glory to glory. I'm going from faith to faith. Come on. But tremble is that fear of the Lord. Says, God, I don't want to displease you. I want to live a life that's pleasing and a fragrance that is acceptable to you. If there's anything in my life that's displeasing God, show me. Show me. The psalmist in 119.25 says this, My soul clings to the dust. Anyone ever felt like that before? In a lowly place, you're down and out. But he says, revive me according to your word. Revive me according to your word. See, the psalmist recognized the condition of his soul. And that is, again, a place where we begin to find personal revival. When we get an honest assessment of where our soul's at. And our need for him. Say, my soul clings to the dust. God, without you, we can't live without his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man, we will go to people for opinions and this and self-help books and 12, way, 12 steps to this or that. But God's just saying, hey, why don't you just come to my word? Because in it is everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's right here in the knowledge of me and in my word. Why don't you start here? Hebrews 4.12 says that his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living and active. It's living It brings life. Come on. It brings life. It revives the soul when we allow the word to pierce us. I'm exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, Lord, according to your word. It says in Psalm 119.107. See, when you're in a place of affliction, how many know the righteous? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. 
But God delivers them out of them all. Out of them all. So when you find yourself in a place of affliction, maybe just follow the heart of the psalmist here and say, Lord, revive me according to your word. Because even in the midst of that trial, that tribulation, that affliction, God's word can come and breathe life into you. Revive your soul. This is my comfort in my misery that your word has revived me. Psalm 119.50. He says, plead my cause and redeem me. How many know Jesus is your advocate? Jesus is for you. He's not against you. If God be for you, who can be against you? Plead my cause and redeem me. So thankful he's redeemed us by the blood of the lamb. We've been bought with a price. Come on, we are no longer our own. We belong to him. Revive me according to your word, he says again. But listen to this. The word of God is, a, is referred to in Ephesians six seventeen as the sword. The word of the Lord is referred to in Jeremiah 23, 29. It says, my, is my word not like fire and like a hammer which crushes the rocks? But see, I'd ask you this morning, have we allowed his word to pierce us? Have we allowed his word to be like fire and burn away the stuff that doesn't belong? Have we allowed his word to be like a hammer that crushes the hard things in our life, the places of resistance, the places where we have we've said, no, God, don't touch that. Isaiah 64 going on here. Behold, you were angry for we sinned. We continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind. Take us away. See, the prophet said this is our condition. We know what you can do. We know the type of person you're looking for. But this is where Israel's at. Getting honest. So good when we just get honest with God about some things. About everything, sorry. I didn't say something. Number three is the obstacles to revival. I just want to talk about a few. And he, saw, he talks about, says, we have sinned. Because of their sin, he, he says, we have become like one who is unclean. And if you know the culture, you know that someone who was unclean was, was ostracized, was set aside, was uh, set outside the camp many times. That, that's what it meant to be unclean. It was reproach that came with that. And so Israel had a reproach on them because of their idolatry, because of their adultery. There was this reproach, and the prophet says, we are like unto you, like one who is unclean. And then he says... So sin is one. And, you know, I believe one of the things, the biggest obstacles in our life and the reason we need revival is lack of holiness and the fear of God in our lives where there's that lacking our continued struggle with sin is an indicator saying, God, I need you to revive me. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. 
Behold the Lord's hand in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold the Lord's hand is not so short. How many are thankful for that this morning? That it cannot save. He's able to save to the uttermost. So you're saying, Pastor, I'm getting hopeless. I've had some wickedness in my life. You can repent. You can be cleansed and you can be forgiven today. Come on. There's hope for you. You can turn from that and you can turn to the Lord and, 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 and change your ways and follow after him. And there's hope. It's never too late. He says, nor is his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your wrongdoings have caused a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Guess who moved? Me. Us. That's where the separation is. So he calls us to examine our hearts and be tested. But then in that, Jesus brings the cleansing, come on, of our hearts as well. And the second obstacle is our religion. Going through the motions. Now this is so easy to get here as a Christian. How many know that? You can just be going to church. You can be serving. You can be active in church. And yet your devotional life, your intimacy with the Lord is lacking and, 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 and is, you're lifeless. And here's the deal. Some of us, this was me. I see some of us stiff-arm God with our rebellion and our bad deeds. That was me. Yeah, Heisman. Some of us stiff-arm God with our good deeds. See, I'm doing this. See, I'm doing okay, God. Because see, see what I'm doing in the church. See what I'm doing all this and all that. And, that. and he warned us about this. Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 5. And he, after describing all these terrible behaviors that, that we'll see in the end times, difficult times will come. He goes on to say, holding, they will be holding to a form of godliness. A form Although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. And so we can get in a place, if we're not careful, where we're holding to a form. And not dealing with the inside. Not dealing with the heart. There's a story. I'm going to find it here. It goes like this. A young boy asked his mother if he could help her wash the windows. She welcomed his offer. Mom said, amen. Maybe, depending on who your kid is. And told him to begin with the one in the kitchen because it was the dirtiest. He went outside and worked diligently until he thought it was clean. And then with a dry cloth, he rubbed him until his arms were tired, but the pane of glass still had many smudges. Frustrated, he called his mother and asked her what was wrong. Looking what, at what he had done, she said with a smile, why, you have been spending all your time washing the glass out here. What's wrong is that the dirt's on the inside. It's on the inside. Oh, we can get in a place where we're concerned with the outside, and God's like, I'm concerned with the heart. I'm concerned with the heart. Praise God. And they said, we were like withering like a leaf which speaks to their powerlessness. Another reason we need revival when we're not seeing the power of God manifested in our life. We're still struggling. 
Some of you are like, the struggle's real, pastor. Well, that's why we have the Holy Spirit, who's our comforter, who's our strengthener, who's our advocate, who comes alongside of us. And then he says, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. You know what the iniquities is in us? It's that, it's that thing, it's that bent in you. That thing that wants to do its own thing. It says in, it says in Isaiah 53, like all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has gone his own way. And so there's in us, if we're honest, you don't have to raise your hand in this place, but every hand should be raised. In us, there's something that just wants to do its own thing. That bent in us, that stubbornness, that stiff-neckedness, that rebellion. And maybe it doesn't manifest in every area, but maybe it's in some, some areas. We don't want any of it. We don't want any of it in our life. As we're praying, as we're going through this time of personal, seeking per- revival in our personal lives, there is a, an Isaiah 30, 40 th- verse 3 moment where he says, he's going to come and make the crooked ways straight. He's going to make the high places low. He's going to make the low places high. He brings it up. And so he deals with those areas in our lives that aren't the way they should be. I'm almost done. Stick with me. There is one, verse 7, Isaiah 64, verse 7. There is no one who calls on your name who arouses himself to take hold of you. See, that's what this is about. If we'll just get stirred up and take hold of God and say, I'm like Jacob, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Who arouses himself. you got to stir yourself up in the things of God. Come on. And say, I'm not going to let go until I get hold of this. Until you bless me. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us to the power of our iniquities. Please don't, Lord. Thank God he was crushed for our iniquities. That he took upon himself those iniquities. So that we could be healed, we could be saved, we could be delivered. Amen, church? Why we need revival, lack of spiritual hunger, desire for other things. Our love for God, his people, and the lost has waned. Lack of effective witness and evangelism. I believe this. You know, we can press, we can coax, we can urge, and we can, we're going to preach the gospel, and we're going to go after it. But how many know when God's spirit comes and he begins to move, instead of us begging people to be saved, people are begging to be saved, like they did on the day of Pentecost. Because the Holy Spirit is convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In the days of John Wesley, when he preached, it says that people would go down under the power of God. No, it wasn't a, like, bless me thing. It was the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is a blessing. I don't know, some of you got quiet on that. That It is a blessing when he comes. Because he doesn't come to condemn you. He doesn't come to make you feel bad. He comes to say, this is, I want to deal with this thing. Because I have something better for your life. So if there's something off, 
Invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Welcome it. Embrace it. Don't reject it. Don't stiff arm it. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, evangelism is a lot easier. You guys are going to have a chance to meet Lonnie. My wife and I met him uh, two years ago at a conference. And this was the conversation. I loved it. Walked up to him, shook hands. He goes, you guys pastors? Yep. And he's just had a big smile on his face. And he goes, isn't it so much easier when God does it? I'm like, we're listening. Show us how it's done, you know? Yes. Yes. It is easier when God does it through us. Amen? Isaiah 64, we'll close with this. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. Come on, somebody. And all of us are the work of your hand. Be angry beyond measure, O Lord. No remember iniquity forever. Aren't you glad? Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I taken your sins from you. He's cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. He's wiped the slate clean. When we turn to him, behold, look now, all of us are your people. All of us are your people. Other, in one of the psalms, it says, if a psalmist cries out, he says, revive us for your name's sake. When we're praying and we're seeking the Lord, remember it's for his name's sake. It's not that we can have just a better experience. It's for his glory. It's for his honor. That he will, that will be vessels through which he can show forth his glory. We will be agents of his kingdom. Come on. Our cry this week, you can stand with me as we close this morning. Revive me according to your loving kindness. Breathe life, Holy Spirit, into us this morning so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth, Psalm 119, 88. And then in verse 159, it goes on to say, Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. According to your loving kindness. Church, let's make that our prayer this morning. Can we just lift our hands for a moment in the presence of the Lord? Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. We want you to have your way in, and through, in our lives this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we are setting our hearts during this time to wait upon you in expectancy for what you will do next. To wait upon you. Lord, this morning we say we rejoice in righteousness. This morning we say we want to remember your ways. Remember the works of the Lord. Never forget what you've done and the testimony 
of your goodness, the testimony of your power, your glory. As Moses cried, show us your ways. Show us your ways. Show us your glory. Lord, we're crying out, each and every one of us individually, laying our lives upon your altar as living sacrifices this morning in response to you. Because you gave us your all. You didn't hold anything back, Lord, this morning. We want to give you our all. Surrendered. Submitted. To you, Jesus. Read out of Joel chapter 2 and get there in just a moment. Verse 12 says, Yet even now declares the Lord. Yet even now. What, 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 where, where, what was going on? Judgment. But he says, yet even now, in the midst of that, return to me with all your heart. Return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And rend your heart, not your garments. Rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he, I want you to see this church, come on. We're not going to a God who's mad or angry at us. It says, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Ooh, that's the character of our God. That's who he is. Gracious and compassionate. Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses. For he was tempted in all ways as we, we are, yet without sin. Praise God. But he overcame he passed the test, and because he passed the test, he can come alongside us and help us to pass the test. He sympathizes with us. He loves us. He's compassionate. He's gracious. And in that same passage, he says, then come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy in time of need so that you might receive mercy. Yes. Come boldly. So I want to encourage you, church, this morning, we made more space at this altar so you can find your own space. But I wonder if you would take a moment and if you just come and we would just seek the Lord together as a church this morning with our lives upon the altar and just cry out to him and maybe say, maybe the Lord's speaking to you this morning concerning obstacles he wants to remove. Those things in us that don't belong. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you this morning of the posture that he wants you to take so that you might receive what he has for you.